Psalm 33, verse 12. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. Thank you. You may be seated. I am an expository preacher. In other words, I usually take a text of Scripture and I just kind of break it apart and break it down and we talk about it. Today, because of the Fourth of July weekend, I want to do something different and that's what I want to see what started Fourth of July in the first place and that is this most important document, the Declaration of Independence. Now, a lot of people don't know things about the Declaration of Independence. Like, for instance, it was approved on July 2nd. That's when it was approved uh, by the Continental Congress. And a lot of people don't know this. It wasn't signed on July 4th. It was signed on August 2nd, a month later after it was approved, but not on July 4th. You probably know this, but Thomas Stone, one of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, lived just down the road here, two and a half miles from the church. And the biggest signature, you probably know this too, the biggest biggest signature on the Declaration of Independence was by the president of the Continental Congress at the time, whose name was John Hancock. And in fact, his, they tell us, is the most recognized signature in all of human history. And he signed it big for two reasons. Reason number one, he was the president of the Congress. And so that's why he's center and that's why he's big. But the reason he gave for signing it so big was so the fat king of England could see it without using his spectacles. That's what he said, not what I said. Speaking of the Declaration of Independence, there was a student in school and his teacher asked him on Monday, who signed the Declaration of Independence? He told her, I don't know. And then on Tuesday, she asked him the same question, who signed the Declaration of Independence? He said, I don't know. She asked him Wednesday, same thing. Thursday, same thing. Friday, she said, who signed the Declaration of Independence? He said, I told you, I don't know. She said, well, I'm calling your dad into the office. And so on Monday, the dad comes in. And the teacher explains the problem. She said, I have asked him for a solid week who signed the Declaration of Independence. And he keeps saying, I don't know. And the dad says, will you ask him in front of me and let's see what happens. So the teacher says, Johnny, who signed the Declaration of Independence? He said, I told you, I don't know. His dad was infuriated. He stood up. He pointed his fingers at his son. He said, son, if you sign the thing, admit it. Let's get out of here. Let's look at the Declaration of Independence. By way of introduction, the Declaration of Independence is one of America's most significant founding documents. The colonies declared their political separation from Great Britain. In doing so, they were acknowledging every government's responsibility to preserve and protect people's God-given and therefore inalienable rights. And they listed those rights, the first of which is life. Do you realize that life is America's first right? Because in the Declaration of Independence says we have inalienable rights among which are life. Pro-abortion advocates either ignore or dismiss our very first right, which is the right to life. But not only did they acknowledge the right to life, they acknowledged the right to liberty and the right to the pursuit of happiness. As these colonies declared their political separation from Great Britain, They listed their inalienable rights and they recognized the seriousness of dissolving political bonds. They did not take this signing and writing of the Declaration of Independence. They did not take that lightly. 
As part of it, they listed the king of England's various abuses of power and infringements on the colonists' inalienable rights. And fourthly, they relied on divine providence for their success. Here are the words of separation from the Declaration of Independence. These united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. Having declared independence, America was conceived. Having won the war of independence, America was born. But listen to the last line of the Declaration of Independence. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And so let's look at what our founders left us in the Declaration of Independence. The first thing I want you to see is they declared. They declared the Continental Congress declared our independence from Great Britain. And the Declaration says that it was based on their belief in, number one, the equality of man. That God is the creator and God has created all men as equals. And not only did they base this Declaration on the equality of man, they based it on the freedom of man. And they specified those freedoms, life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you realize, though, that freedom is God's intended state for mankind? Look here at Leviticus 25 and verse 10. It says, And ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Now, this is referring to the Old Testament practice of the Jubilee. And the Jubilee came around every 50 years. And so every 50 years, what happened was, if you were a slave, you got set free. Every 50 years. So if you enslaved yourself because uh, you were a a bad steward of your money, if uh, something happened in your personal life and you became enslaved, it would all reset every 50 years. And so every person in his lifetime would absolutely get the opportunity to be free. And what that teaches us is that freedom is man's natural state. That teaches us that freedom is God's intended state for mankind because he's showing you might mess up, but at least once in every lifetime, you're going to taste freedom because that's what God wants. By the way, this Leviticus 25.10, it is embossed on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You may or may not know that the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is the third casting of that bell, but it was embossed on all three And it remains there today. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. You see, freedoms are granted by God, not by government. Anything the government gives, the government can take away. But God's gift of freedom is irrevocable. That's why it's so important we understand our freedoms have come from God. They don't come from the Declaration of Independence. They don't come from the Constitution. They don't come from Congress. They come from God. But the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and Congress must recognize that. So this declaration was based on their belief in the equality of man, the freedom of man, and the providence of God. They believed that they were acting according to God's will. They believed that they were acting according to biblical principles. They understood their success or failure depended on God. And that's why in the document itself they appealed to the supreme judge to validate their intentions. And so we see our founding fathers, they declared. But secondly, I want you to see they relied. They relied on divine providence. Now, what is divine providence? Well, God is sovereign. And God is absolutely in control. 
And God works things out according to His will and His plan. And so they understood that and they relied on that. And we know that God providentially saw this declaration to its ultimate fulfillment. These 13 colonies declared war on the world's sole superpower at the time, England. The Revolutionary War was difficult, and at times it was discouraging. But God's providence permitted the colonists to be victorious and to establish the nation that would become one of history's greatest forces for good and for great commission fulfillment. Do you realize the modern missionary movement, we pray for our missionaries all the time, the modern missionary movement was birthed in America. God has providentially blessed us to be a blessing. And John Hancock, that guy with the big signature, here's what he said. Let us humbly commit our righteous cause to the great Lord of the universe. So you see, actually, the Declaration of Independence was actually a declaration of dependence on God. Our founding father says, yes, we're independent from England, but we're absolutely dependent on God. And so we see they declared They relied. And thirdly, they pledged. The founders expressed unity in pledging their lives. Now, the penalty for being a traitor was death by hanging. They knew that. And in fact, Benjamin Franklin famously said this, We must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. Some of the signers lost their lives, but innumerable Americans that they represented lost their lives as well. They not only pledged their lives, they pledged their fortunes. They understood the financial cost of revolution. Their wealth was secured by the banks of England. And even a victory in revolution would not guarantee wealth preservation. Many of the signers lost their fortunes. But many more Americans, whom they represented, lost their fortunes as well. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. What happened to these 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence? Many years ago, Paul Harvey, a famous uh, Christian radio broadcaster, he did some research. I'm just going to read it to you. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. One of the signers had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died of wounds or the hardships of the Revolutionary War. But what kind of men were they, these men who boldly wrote their names of the Declaration that lit the fires of liberty in the souls of men throughout the world? Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists, eleven were merchants, nine were farmers and large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated. Their security, their incomes, and their worldly possessions made them substantially well-off. But they signed the Declaration of Independence even though they knew the penalty would be death on the gallows if they were captured. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and his properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the enemy that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him and poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of Ellery Clymer, Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noticed that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. 
The owner quietly urged General George Washington to open fire, which was done. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. His grave is unmarked and unknown. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his gristmill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in the forests and caves, returning home after the war to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Morris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Such were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians. These were soft-spoken men of means, wealth, and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged for the sport of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. But what about that sacred honor? What is that? We know what a life is. We know what a fortune is. What is sacred honor? Well, sacred means holy or set aside. And honor refers to one's upright reputation. Proverbs 22.1 puts it this way, A good name is rather be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or gold. God gives, it, gives each person honor. This is part of being made in God's image. So we are all made in God's image. We all possess sacred honor. Each person, though, chooses what to do with the honor he has been given. Some people live godly lives and they maintain that sacred honor. Other people, well, they don't maintain their sacred honor. They live godless lives against the things of God, against the word of God. And while they still have that honor that comes from God by being made in the image of God, it's no longer a sacred honor. But these men who were believers, who signed that Declaration of Independence, their honor was sacred. And they pledged it for freedom's sake. You see, a nation is great as its citizens live honorably. In a republic such as the United States, honorable citizens elect honorable leaders who then make honorable laws. John Jay, the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, said this, Americans ought to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. But look around, my friends. The evidence points to our citizens not living and not voting honorably. We have legalized homosexual marriage in America. And for them, their so-called emancipation is abomination to God. We have legalized gambling. Whether you talk about lotto or bingo or the, or the casinos, this is another sermon, but gambling breaks six of the Ten Commandments. Can't be good. We have legalized murder. We call it abortion. Oh, no, Brother Gary, we don't have abortion anymore. Didn't you hear? Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe versus Wade being overturned is a victory for the Constitution. There's still abortion in America. And let's focus on Maryland where it is state law that any abortion can be performed up to the moment before the child is born. That's our state law. There's work to be done. There's still abortion in America, but it's still murder. And we have legalized theft. Governmental overspending has resulted in generational theft. Our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren 
they got a big bill to pay. The United States truly is God's gift to the world. But he can revoke his blessing on us at any moment. Look what Jeremiah says here in Jeremiah 18, beginning in verse 9. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I'll repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And so we started out by godly men on godly principles, a godly nation. And God has blessed us exceedingly. But his word says, if we don't obey him, he could change his mind like that. But as individuals turn back to God, so will our nation. We can be grateful that our brave and thoughtful forefathers moved to establish the republic that we now know is the greatest nation ever. Benjamin Franklin, as he was leaving the the Constitutional Convention. Now, he was one of the few people that not only signed the Declaration of Independence, he also signed the Constitution. But as he was leaving the Constitutional Convention after they had agreed to what we now call our Constitution, somebody asked him on the street, well, what kind of government do we have? And Benjamin Franklin said, we have a republic if you can keep it. What did he mean? We must preserve our republic for future generations. Look at Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. How do we preserve this republic? We preserve this republic by being godly citizens of this republic. We must elect honorable leaders who will make honorable laws. You say, Brother Gary, what about separation of church and state? What about that, huh? Do you realize separation of church and state is not found anywhere in our Constitution? It's not found anywhere in the Declaration of Independence, but I'll tell you where it is found. It's found in the former Constitution of the USSR. So when you hear people saying, hey, separation of church and state, separation of church and state, know this, they are commies. I could share with you another time the history of Thomas Jefferson's 1802 letter to some Baptists in Danbury about the separation of church and state, what it really means. Thomas Jefferson was no communist. But people who promote the separation of church and state, they are. So we see our founding fathers, they declared, they relied, and they pledged. But how do we apply all this as Christians? We must take the same steps for our faith in Christ as our founders did for our nation. Starting with, we must declare. We don't need to declare our freedom from Great Britain. Already did that. We must declare man's freedom from sin through Jesus Christ. That man can be free from this sin that besets all of us. But the only way to be free is to believe in Jesus Christ. To believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That Jesus was buried for your sins. And the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. We must declare man's freedom from sin through Christ. And we must declare Jesus' name to the nations. And remember, the modern missionary movement was birthed right here in America. The front of your bulletin today has a quote from John 8.36. It's as if the Son will make you free. You shall be free indeed. Let's look at that verse for a minute. First of all, let's look at the condition of liberation. That verse starts with if. If the Son makes you free. See, we're all born sinners. Freedom is not automatic. 
And because we're all born sinners, we must be redeemed from our sin. And those who are unredeemed cannot be free. There is the condition of liberation if. But then we see the person of liberation. If the Son shall make you free. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He said of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Peter would say in Acts 4, 12, there is no other name among men given under heaven whereby men must be saved. And so we see the condition of liberation. We see the person of liberation. And finally, I want to see the extent of liberation. Jesus said, if I make you free, you'll be free indeed. What does he mean, free indeed? He means complete and total freedom. Now, this is better than earthly freedom. This is eternal freedom. This is freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from hell. You know, a political nation can only last a lifetime or can only last as long as the earth lasts. But citizens of heaven can live forever. And the kingdom of heaven lasts forever. I love the United States of America. I love our Declaration of Independence. I love our Constitution. I love our flag. But I understand it's all temporary. But the kingdom of God, Jesus as my Savior now, He has granted me freedom. And I am free indeed. And the freedom indeed that I have can be your freedom indeed as well. But only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so applying these things that our forefathers did, first of all, they declared. And we must declare freedom from sin through Jesus Christ. Secondly, we must rely on God's providence in our own lives. Our plans fail when they do not mesh with God's plan. We must trust Him for our success or failure as individuals. We must trust Him for our success or failure as families. We must trust Him for our success or failure as a church. We must trust Him for our success or failure as a nation. We must rely on God's providence. And thirdly, we must pledge our faith and commitment. Number one, and most importantly, to God, but also to each other. We pledge that we will be faithful followers of Jesus Christ to each other. We come to church here every week with each other and we are acting out that pledge. I am faithfully worshiping with you. I'm faithfully living during the week right along with you. And so we pledge our faith and commitment to God and to each other. And then lastly, we must maintain our sacred honor. How do we do that? We maintain our sacred honor. We all have honor from God because we're made in His image, but... We maintain our sacred honor by living lives that are pleasing to God. And so we've seen this morning as we looked at the Declaration of Independence. We've seen our godly founding fathers. How the first thing they did, they declared independence. But they knew what that would cost them. And many of them found out right quick because it cost them even their lives their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And after they declared, they relied. They said there's only one way this is going to work, and that's if God allows it to. 
We're relying on divine providence. Without God, we can't do this. And think about it. They were just some colonists. They were taking on the world's only superpower. It had been said at the time that the sun never set on the British kingdom. They were everywhere. They were all powerful. And that's why the colonists realized we need help. And we don't need just France or something like that. We need God. They relied on divine providence. And then finally, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. You and I are blessed today because 246 years ago, yesterday, these men drafted and approved the Declaration of Independence. We've been blessed and the world has been blessed because of what those men did. But it's our turn now. Those guys are all dead and gone. They left us, left us a tremendous legacy that as a nation we have been squandering. It's time to stop the squandering. It's time to turn back to God. But to turn our nation back to God, we need to turn back to God. And then we need to help others turn back to God. And by the way, that can start tonight. Andy mentioned that we're going to have some fireworks next door. We, they're not our fireworks. The country club shoots off the fireworks, but people come here and they use our parking lot. And yeah, we give them hot dogs and we have games for the kids. And apparently we're going to have music tonight. It's the first I heard. But anyway, we're going to have music tonight, so I hope Andy comes up with something. But nobody gets in here without passing by a table here where there's Bibles and tracks. And this year we have special devotionals for families to use with kids. Why? Because we need to declare true freedom to the world. And declaring freedom to the world starts in our own community and even tonight in our own parking lot. Letting people know that they can be free indeed, but only through Christ. So we invite you to come out tonight and see some fireworks. Eat a hot dog. Interact with our community. And as God gives opportunity... His divine providence. Share your story. Share your faith. Share your freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together and to celebrate the birthday of our nation. I love these hymns we've been singing and playing. and I just love our nation and our flag and our constitution, the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers. They weren't perfect. But God, we're grateful for them. Thank you for bringing them all together for such a time as we needed 246 years ago. But Father, the legacy, the godly legacy they left us is now ours. It's in our hands. We need to live honorably. We need to vote honorably. And we need to, above all, worship you and praise you and share you with a lost and dying nation and world. But, Father, that whole idea of missionary activity begins with our own lives. There may be people in this room right here who have never received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. 
There may be people watching online right now never received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Give them grace and faith to believe. And may we all live in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And God, save our republic. Through Christ we ask. Amen. Orchestra, would you please return? And give us a second, please, musicians.